You are listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is in Treaty 1 territory, Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. Do you think PAX is inherently the most interesting discipline at CMU? <laughs> I have very fond memories and I had a very good experience going through that degree program. You just heard the voice and laugh of Kristen Wiltshire, a 2014 graduate of CMU. I asked her that question because in this fall series where I'm catching up with CMU student graduation speakers, Kristen is the second to have majored in Peace and Conflict Transformation Studies, or PACTS for short and I had lots more people to choose from. There's something good going on in PACTS, and it's probably more than just producing eloquent speakers. Now, why did I choose Kristen to talk to for the November episode? November is a month where we tend to hear a lot about peace in terms of Remembrance Day and the wars of the past. But the absence of war in one's own country, which we are grateful for right now in Canada, is really just one indicator of peace. We need to keep in mind the ongoing safety and well-being of everyone in our society. That's where Kristen comes in. As you'll hear in her graduating reflection from 2014, her studies at CMU helped her understand peace not as a static condition, but an active, ongoing process, and one that has everything to do with social structures. After we listen to Kristen's talk, I'll be back to introduce our conversation on where she is now. For now, let's go to the Lodimus Auditorium at CMU during graduation weekend in 2014. Here's Kristen. Hello, good afternoon. I'm Kristen Wiltshire. I am graduating this year with a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Peace and Conflict Transformation. It has been said that since wars begin in the minds of men, It is in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. This is indeed what Canadian Mennonite University aims to do through their Peace and Conflict Transformation Program. One might ask what the defenses of peace are. In fact, we all might ask what peace is in today's world broken by sin, corruption, destruction, and war. These are the questions that my professors, my fellow students, and I have been wrestling with throughout the course of my degree. Through the Peace and Conflict Transformation Program at CMU, I began to learn that peace, like these ageless rituals and lifelong journeys, is a process. It is a process that demands an understanding of one's own social location and an engagement with historical, cultural, and structural contexts. We have engaged with the histories of countries around the world through this program, including those who have experienced apartheid, genocide, dictatorship, and the the creative nonviolent movements that have led to peace for many. Perhaps most significantly, we have engaged in the honest learning of the history of our own country, Canada. In the learning of colonization and the residential school system, I have begun to understand that conflict is a deep and complicated matter for which we need to learn about with humble and open minds. I have learned that a process of peace begins, for many of us, with the unveiling of historical truth that requires us to listen. Peace and 
conflict transformation studies has allowed us to study culture and to open our minds to the worldviews and philosophies of others. We have learned deeply about reconciliation through the healing practices of many traditional cultures. This has taught me that peace often requires getting to the root of who we are as people and the values and needs we have as a global community. Through an engagement with First Nations elders, my worldview has shifted regarding what we are searching for in this quest for peace. I have come to understand that all of humanity is connected interdependently and that our relationships to each other, to the land, and to the Creator need healing before we can experience the fullness of Shalom. Through CMU, I have had the opportunity to do my practicum overseas uh, in a rural village in Uganda. It was being in a distinctly different culture that showed me the amount of growing that I have done in my time at CMU. Uh, CMU has taught me cultural competency and the importance of listening and embracing a different worldview and way of life. My community uh, in Uganda expected that a visitor from Canada would arrive and tell them what they needed to do to change about their lives. At the end of my time, they thanked me for being a learner and a listener, a family member. To me, the building of right and respectful relationships is the building of peace. In our learning, we have analyzed the structures and systems of our societies. It has been in this learning that I have come to see evidence of conflict in our world that leads to the injustice present in some of the lives of the most vulnerable people in our societies. My CMU career has existed side by side with working at Salome Mission, an emergency shelter and drop-in center in Winnipeg. My education has been crucial in informing me of the cycles of poverty and the psychological role of trauma in the lives of those living um, who have been victims of conflict. I am thankful for this learning as it has uh, broken some of my own stereotypes and it has informed me of the sometimes unspoken realities faced by those experiencing poverty. Peace requires a shift in our perceptions. It requires a transformation of the structures that we have built in our societies that lead to and perpetuate cycles of violence and injustice. I am overwhelmingly thankful for a Christian institution that reveals its integrity and determination to be God's active agents of peace and justice in this world. I would like to say thank you to our teachers for their courage, honesty, creativity, and love for both their students and the global community. Thank you, CMU, for restoring our faith in Christian discipleship, community, and inclusion. I would also like to say thank you to my family for joining me in my learning journey, how interesting it has been at times. Martin Luther King Jr. stated the following, which I believe reveals much of the result of CMU's work in the areas of peace and justice through education and activism. The nonviolent approach does not immediately change the heart of the oppressor. It first does something to the hearts and souls of those committed to it. It gives them a new self-respect. It calls up resources of strength and courage that they did not know they had. Finally, it reaches the opponent and so stirs their conscience that reconciliation becomes a reality. If the opponents of peace in this world are the structures and systems that perpetuate violence and ignorance, the study of peace and conflict transformation is perhaps one of the greatest defenses for peace and a great, great hope for justice in this world. Thank you. Thank you.
That's Kristen at grad 2014, eight years ago. And if you're thinking her speech was pretty broad, maybe even a little idealistic, well, I'd say she's walking the talk as best she can. Here in 2022, Kristen works as the manager of programs for Wolseley Family Place, an organization providing a variety of family and social supports to people in the inner city of Winnipeg. And as you might guess, through her clients' experiences, this work brings Kristen into contact with some of those big social systems I hinted at earlier, police, justice, child and family services, and more. These systems are supposed to maintain peace in our everyday lives, but very often do a lot of harm along the way. Kristen and I talked a lot about why these systems need to change and even be totally reimagined. That's a huge task. So I wanted to try breaking down this idea a little bit into what we might actually do right now toward that end goal. We'll start with how Kristen has learned a new idea of community safety, find out what she thinks of peace beyond policing, and finish off with how we might actually begin to transform social systems. I think if you leave this episode feeling empowered to take at least one small action, I will have done my job. You be the judge. I spoke with Kristen over lunch break at her office, so if you hear some office noises in the background, it's all part of the scene. You're going to hear Kristen first, talking about how her assumptions are often challenged just as a matter of showing up at work. Here we go. So yeah, as a like a community worker um, in a leadership position uh, who is white, who is uh, working in Winnipeg with a very diverse population of colleagues and participants that come into programming, I think that it's it's pretty regular that I that I um, experience. Wow, okay, that was um, you know uh, an assumption that I that I made about you know about parenting or something. Um, and that's actually like not uh, most people's experiences. And, and I need to like, I'm not a parent myself. I need to listen. Yeah, also learning like cultural practices and, and cultural norms for, for different folks and building those relationships where those uh, knowledge exchanges can happen. For sure. Is there anything that you kind of do differently in your own life and practices now because of things you've learned? A shift that I've had in uh, the years of working in the community that um, is fairly significant is maybe my understanding of, uh, of safety and of um, systems that, that we have in place as a society that are kind of for the purpose of safety, but, but really don't work towards keeping, <laughs> keeping people actually safe and well. And so like policing, for example, is um, something that's been um, on my mind and on many people's minds over the last couple of years. And I think that when I first started in in this field, I may have had more trust in those systems. And now I understand that, okay, as a, as a white woman, I'm taught that that system keeps me safe. But guess what? For many people that I work with, um, that system causes a lot of harm and a lot of violence. And so I need to um, recognize that and then work on like creating new systems of and structures of safety and often that just means like um learning about and engaging with grassroots community creations that that are of uh, community keeping each other safe which yeah. exists yeah. yeah talking about about peace building and some of the things you referenced back in 2014 
we we might say that a peaceful society needs to look beyond the absence of war and towards sort of an active process of transformation. What what is uh what does peace beyond policing look like to you? Hmm. I think that well for me, uh, peace means that people have what they need to be well. Uh, people aren't living in poverty. People are not experiencing systemic oppression. I think that there are ways, and in a lot of the the places that I've worked, I've worked in the hospital. I've worked with, um, you know, uh, survivors of violence. I've worked with uh, families who are struggling to make ends meet, and with with individuals who are unsheltered and unhoused. So, I think about that being a major component of our society. All these these struggles and difficulties. And then I think about the systems that are put in place, you know, safety, safety and justice systems. So policing, I think about CFS and child protection that's supposed to keep children safe. And, and really, there's like a lot of harm and violence has done through all of those systems. But these systems, we can find moments to uh, advocate and to try to make small changes and try to alleviate the harm. Um, which is a lot of people's full-time jobs. I feel like that's my, my full-time job is to like support people to actually be heard and actually get what they need in systems that are supposed to be like they're, they're created to serve people, but they, they don't seem to most of the time. And so I think we need to look at um, deconstructing those systems. We need to look at creating new new systems. And that, that will mean that those systems need to be led by people that are that have the most lived experience in them. And that is a really big, really big thing. A really big thing, to say the very least. I just popped in to draw your attention to something Kristen said there, that many people are working full-time just to alleviate some of the harms that these systems cause. That's super important. But alleviating harm is different from changing the system so the harm doesn't happen in the first place. That's where the interview shifts to now, beginning with a quote that Kristen shared way back at grad 2014. I'm, I'm looking at some notes that I have from your, from your 2014 talk, and you began with this quote, war begins in the minds of men, so it is in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. I guess we could say the minds of people, but literally it often would be men. Uh, <laughs> and, and often it's powerful men or people who are kind of in the positions to to fund those kinds of services, to make legislative changes in that. How do you approach the powerful and the people with the means to make these changes and, and advocate for that better way of doing things? It's really interesting in the local context because I think that there's been so many great community leaders uh, come together, build amazing networks. Um, I'm thinking about like harm reduction supports and and community safety networks and and that sort of thing. And there's been so much like real lived experience compiled together and and reports created and and really evidence based resources that have been provided to politicians like city councilors, MLAs. It it really feels like a lot of uh, push from the community is is often happening. Um, but whether people actually respond and prioritize um, making those changes, that's another question. And I, I think that in order for um, 
things to to change politically. We need like um, more people on board to be pushing for those for those changes. And so, yeah, people that maybe aren't impacted by by stuff every day or might not need um, those supports themselves need to take the time to to understand the different issues and then listen to people that are experts in those in those issues and then and then push for that change everyone needs to be part of that solution Mm -hmm. and i tend to observe that some uh, governments are more receptive to these ideas than others but no matter what party's in power they tend to move somewhat slowly so is it is it just a matter of getting out to vote and getting the right people in there or or how do we kind of continue putting that pressure on kind of during the cycle of a government? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can speak from my own experience. I, I think that everyone has a different level of um, like access to be able to directly speak to, to politicians. Although, um, of course, letter writing, emailing, showing up at city council, those are all things that people can do. But whenever I have the opportunity, if I'm invited to a community consultation or I'm at a sitting at a table at a meeting with, with someone who has um, the ability to maybe push for those changes. I use every opportunity to try to to share the experiences of people that um, that I work with and and make sure that that people's experiences are heard. And I think it's it's really easy to wrap things up and tie them with a pretty bow. Um, and often, at you know, when we're talking about those issues, it's like, okay, thank you for for sharing those things. And then it's kind of contained within a consultation meeting and it needs to continue beyond that. And so making sure that there's follow up and, and continuing to um, question when things when things aren't going well in those systems and, and really push for accountability on the systems part. Uh, and also like asking for the for the for the bigger thing, right? If we're talking about reimagining how things should be, then then we can shoot for the stars, and we need to. We instead of being complacent in systems, which is really easy to do, and understandable why people, uh, both people experiencing harm by systems and people advocating within those systems, because because they're massive and they're they're a big a big force to come up against. But I think that we need to continue to to always be pushing and always being connected with. Um, yeah, with what community is wanting. And so um, building those relationships within community and then taking those things forward and, and, and leveraging whatever privilege one might have to do that. Yeah, definitely. So I hear you saying to build a better world, we need to be ambitious and we need to be annoying. <laughs> or at least, at least persistent. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> well, there you have it. You have mine and Kristen's permission to be annoying as long as it's in the service of peace. I'm going to wrap up here by drawing out three key points from what we just heard. Number one, I was really struck when Kristen said we need to ask for the bigger things. So often, people in positions of authority are stuck maintaining how we already run things, which doesn't leave much time for sitting back and imagining what could be done differently. That vision needs to come from people with direct, on-the-ground experience. That leads me to number two. Kristen gave us a great three-step process for doing political advocacy work. Understand, listen, and push. So understand. Find some background information on a topic that you care about. Listen. Seek out articles, podcasts, and other resources where people directly affected by that issue are sharing their stories. And finally, push. Use what you've learned to call on governments and other institutions to do something about it. Remember, 
be ambitious and annoying. And number three, Kristen talked about leveraging privilege. Depending on your situation, the privilege you have may simply be the time to do some of this research, write to a leader, and use your annoying persistence to keep their attention focused on it. To sum up one more time, ask for big things, understand, listen, and push, and leverage your privilege, whatever that looks like. As Kristen said earlier, we can't tie up social change in a bow like I seem to be doing with these steps. But they're not a goal, they're a starting point. Thanks so much to Kristen Wiltshire for joining me on the podcast this month. I hope you're leaving here with an idea of something you can do to promote peace. Let me know what you're thinking. Leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash so what podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Join me next month for the last episode in our graduation series, catching up with CMU alumni. My name is Jonas Cornelson. I'll talk to you again soon.